ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing from where we left off in Bulugh al-Maram, from the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, radiyallahu anhu, قال, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم, إذا سمعتم النداء فقولوا مثل ما يقول المؤذن, متفق عليه. وللبخاري عن معاوية radiyallahu anhu, مثله, ولمسلم عن عمر radiyallahu anhu, في فضل القول كما يقول المؤذن, كلمة كلمة, سوى الحي علتين فيقول لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله So first you have the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri رضي الله عنه He said that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said If you hear the call Meaning if you hear the adhan Then say just as the mu'adhin says Say what the mu'adhin says If you hear the call Meaning if you hear the adhan, then say just like what the mu'adhin says. I repeat after him. And that's a hadith which is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Uh, in Al-Bukhari there's a similar narration to it from Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. So this indicates that it is legislated, it is something that should be done for the person who hears the adhan, that he should say the same as what he hears from the mu'adhin making the adhan. And that is clarified even further in the hadith of Umar where he mentions regarding saying word by word, kalima kalima. So if the mu'adhin says Allahu Akbar, when he is doing the adhan, he says Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Then as the mu'adhin says Allahu Akbar, the person who hears the adhan, he should say to himself Allahu Akbar. And if he hears the Mu'addin saying, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, then he should say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. And if he hears the Mu'addin saying, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, then he should say to himself, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. So you repeat as the Mu'addin says. What you hear the Mu'addin saying, then you repeat it after him when you hear that. Apart from Hayya ala salah, and Hayya ala al-Falah. These two sentences, then it's been explained that instead of repeating them as they are, that's one difference because there, instead of repeating them, you say, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. So when you hear Hayya ala salah and Hayya ala al-Falah, then you don't repeat the same in that instance. You don't say Hayya ala salah and Hayya ala al-Falah. In that instance, for those two sentences, then you say, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. What does it mean? What does لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله mean? Why do you say that when you hear حيا على الصلاة, حيا على الفلاح, which means come to the prayer, hasten to the prayer, and come to success, and hasten to success. You are being called to the prayer. You are being called to success. So when you hear those two sentences, why do you say, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله? The sentence in of itself, 
لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله then it means that there is no might and there is no power and there is no ability without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. An individual is not able to do anything without the aid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. An individual is not able to move, to go from one place to another place, to make any other type of activity without the aid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as the shaykh says here, التبرؤ من الحول والقوة وَأَنَّ الْإِنسَانَ عَاجِزٌ إِلَّا إِذَا أَقْدَرَهُ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى A person in of himself, you're not able to do anything unless Allah gives you the ability to be able to do it. You're not able to even move from your home and walk to the masjid unless Allah gives you this ability to be able to do so. So that ability, it is given to you by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to move and to go even from your home to the masjid, then that activity, that movement, that ability, it is something that is not in your control. It is something which is not under your power. But that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow you to make these movements, to make these transfers from one place to another place, to go from one place to another place. So that's why when the mu'addin says, Hayya ala salah, Hayya ala al-falah, meaning come to the prayer, come to success, then you in of yourself are not able to do that unless Allah gives you the ability to be able to do that. So that's why you say that there is no uh, power, there is no uh, uh, ability other than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides. So for you to now answer to this adhan and to uh, submit to that adhan and to the obedience of Allah and go to the masjid, then that requires movement, it requires activity. But this activity and this movement, then it occurs only as a consequence of Allah allowing that for you to occur. Or Allah allowing you the ability to move. So that is why you reply by saying, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله That I am not able to do this, I am not even able to go to the masjid, unless Allah gives me this ability. لا أقدر على ذلك إلا الله I am not able to do that without the help and assistance of Allah. So in that instance, you therefore clarify and you declare that you do not have this ability in of yourself, but that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that gives you this ability and aids you and assists you to be able to, uh, uh, to uh, fulfill what you hear in the adhan in terms of hastening to the prayer, going to the prayer and going to success. Then the shaykh says, so now we understand up to there, that simple ruling, that when you hear the adhan, you hear the mu'addin making the adhan, then when he says the lines, you repeat the lines. If he says Allahu Akbar, as he's making the adhan, then you say Allahu Akbar. If he's saying Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, then you repeat to yourself Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. The mu'addin says Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, then you repeat Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah to yourself. You say it. Except if the mu'addin says Hayya ala salah and Hayya ala al falah, then you don't say the same, but instead you say, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. So this is what's mentioned. But then the question is, is that something that is obligatory, or is it something which is recommended? Is this an obligation, something that you must do when you hear the mu'adhin? Or is it something that is highly recommended, something which is mustahab, but not an obligation? So the shaykh says, the hadith in of itself, indicates that it's an obligation. 
The hadith itself indicates that it's an obligation. How and why does it indicate it's an obligation? Because it's in the command form. Qulu mithla ma yaqul. Say as he says. The Prophet ﷺ said, say as he says. That's a command. So the normal rule is that if there is a command, the hadith has come in the form of a command, then the origin or the normal rule for commands is that they are obligations. Unless you can find something which would deter that or remove that from being an obligation to just being something recommended. So in this instance, the hadith itself is a command. Therefore, that would indicate it's an obligation. And therefore, some of the scholars do consider that this is an obligation that you must repeat as the mu'addin says if you hear him. However, the majority of the scholars have said that actually it is only mustahab. That it is something that you should do, of course. It is the sunnah and you should do it. And there's reward in that. But we can't say that it's an obligation. That you must do it and you're a sinner if you don't. And the reason being because there is some evidence which indicates that the command in this hadith can be removed from the forcefulness of a command to something slightly less which is mustahab. And that is because there is a narration the Shaykh mentions that on one occasion the Prophet ﷺ when he heard the adhan, he didn't repeat the words of the mu'adhin. And instead he said some other words. So for example, when the mu'adhin was saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, then the Prophet ﷺ was saying, Sadaqta, you have spoken the truth. And when the mu'adhin was saying, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, the Prophet ﷺ said, Kharajta min an-nar. That you've exited from the fire. So here on this occasion, the mu'adhin was making the adhan, but the Prophet ﷺ wasn't repeating the words as the mu'adhin is saying them. And the hadith we've just read says, repeat the words as the mu'adhin says them. But on one occasion the Prophet ﷺ didn't do that. So based upon that, the majority of the scholars said, we can therefore understand that this is not an obligation. It's not a must that it must be done. Because on this occasion, the Prophet ﷺ didn't do it. So they said, what it indicates is, that you've got one hadith telling you, repeat as the Mu'addin says, but you've got this instance where the Prophet ﷺ didn't do it, therefore join them together and we say, that it is something you should do. It's mustahab, it's recommended. But we can't say that it's an obligation to repeat the words as the Mu'addin, he, he says them in the Adhan. Then after that, we have the hadith of Uthman ibn Abil As, radiyallahu anhu annahu qal, Ya Rasulullah, ij'alni imama qawmi, faqal, anta imamuhum, waqtadi bi'adhafihim, wattakhidh mu'adhinan, la ya'khudhu ala adhanihi ajra. Akhrajahu al-khamsa, wa hassanahu al-tirmidhi, wa sahahu al-hakim. In this hadith of Uthman ibn Abil As, and he was... Uh, Uthman ibn Abil As al-Thaqafi from the people of Ta'if and it's narrated that a group from the people of Ta'if they came in a, in a delegation in a group in the ninth year of Hijrah and they came to the Prophet ﷺ to learn from him in Medina and the Prophet ﷺ made a tent for them at the side of Al-Masjid al-Nabawi where they stayed and they learned the Quran and the Sunnah from the Prophet ﷺ so Uthman ibn Abil As, عنه, he was one of those who came with 
this delegation of people, this group of people who had come to learn from the Prophet And he stuck to the Prophet and he accompanied, he accompanied the Prophet And he learned from him a lot in terms of the Qur'an and in terms of the Sunnah. And he considered within himself some ability and he had desire for goodness. So when the group of people who had come from Ta'if to learn, when they had finished that period and they were going to go back, then Uthman ibn Abil As, he came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him, make me the imam of this group. Make me the imam of my people. Meaning that they were about to return now. So he asked the Prophet ﷺ just before they were about to return, make me the imam of my people when I go back. When I go back to Ta'if, then allow me to be the imam who leads them in the prayer. And the Prophet ﷺ saw that this individual, Uthman ibn Abil As anhu, had ability in him to do that. He saw that he had ability in him to do that, and that he was suitable for that. So he made him the imam. He made him the imam, he gave him that position of being the imam when he returns to his people. And also he made him, the Prophet ﷺ, made Uthman ibn Abil As anhu, the amir, the leader of the people uh, of Ta'if. And he continued to be the amir, the leader of the people of Ta'if, during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ until he died. And then after that, during the leadership of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and then even at the time of Umar radiallahu anhu at the beginning. And then after that it's narrated that Umar radiallahu anhu, he made him the Amir of Oman, uh, another area, another region, he transferred him. Uh, and then when many of the people became apostates, as you're aware, after the Prophet wasallam died, many of the people, they apostated. And there were different types of apostations. After the Prophet ﷺ died, some of them they said that he cannot be a messenger. If he was truly a messenger, then he wouldn't have died. That's what some of them said. After the Prophet ﷺ died, some of them said that if he was truly a messenger, he wouldn't have died. He would have lived forever. So they apostated upon this belief that if he was really a messenger, he wouldn't have died. And so they left Islam and they went back to their idols and their statues, etc. And there were other people who continued upon La ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah. They continued upon the testification. However, they began to believe these other individuals who claimed prophethood for themselves. So for example, Musaylama al-Kadhab, that individual Musaylama, the liar who claimed that the Prophet ﷺ had given him a share of the prophethood. He claimed to the people that the Prophet ﷺ had given him a share of the prophethood. He had made him a participant in the prophethood. So some of these people, even though they continued upon La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, they accepted that. But they also believed Musaylama. Because Musaylama, he came with some witnesses. He came with some witnesses to testify that yes, he was given a share of the prophethood. We saw this, we heard this. He was made a participant in the prophethood. And they were liars. They were liars too. Their testification was falsehood. But he came with this false testification and some of the people, they fell for that. 
And so they began to believe that he is a prophet too. So they were apostates. Despite the fact that they were still saying, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah. They were still saying that. But in their belief that Musaylama was a prophet too, or that he had some share of the prophethood, then that was apostasy. And then there were others, Tulayha, another one who claimed prophethood for himself, even though him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon him, that he repented and he came back to Islam. And then he later died in the war, or in the wars that took place between the Muslims and the Persians. So these were some of the individuals who claimed different things and they apostated after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. But the point being, this narrator here, uh, Uthman ibn Abil As radiallahu anhu, when these other individuals apostated, he stood firm and he gave a khutbah to them and he gave them sermons to make them established and to keep them firm and to remove these doubts from their minds. And as a consequence, uh, the people of Ta'if, they remained upon Islam and it's mentioned that he said to them in the khutbah, لَا تَكُونُوا آخِرَ مَنْ أَسْلَمَ وَأَوَّلَ مَنْ ارْتَدَّ He said to them, don't be the last of the people who became Muslims. They were right at the end they became Muslim. They went to the Prophet ﷺ, it was towards the end of his lifetime. He said to them, don't be the last of the people who became Muslim, and now be the first of the people to apostate. And so he gave them a strong khutbah, and they remained upon that Islam. So that's the narrator, uh, Uthman ibn Abil As radiallahu anhu. This hadith indicates though, that it is permissible for a person to ask for leadership in some religious position, if that individual desires the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a person who sincerely desires the reward of Allah to fulfill some Islamic position, so he asks to be made in charge of that Islamic position, fulfilling that purely for the sake of Allah, sincerely for the sake of Allah, desiring the reward of Allah, and that is permissible. Just like Uthman ibn Abil As, radiallahu anhu, came and asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to be made the imam. So he sought that he should be given this position of being the imam. But if it is done in sincerity to Allah, desiring the reward of Allah, as was the case here, then that is permissible and it is not something which is not allowed. Rather it is allowed and it is permissible. And there is no harm in making that type of request if that person is desiring to do goodness and he recognizes that he has the ability to fulfill that role, to be the imam for example and to lead the people and to look after their affairs. He has the ability, he is suitable to do that. So he wants to do that, desiring the reward of Allah. He wants that Islamic position for the benefit that he can give to the people and for the sincere act of obedience to Allah, then that is something okay. The reason why the Shaykh mentions that is because there are some narrations which say that a person should not seek leadership. And that is regarding worldly affairs. أَمَّا إِذَا كَانَ الْمَنْسَبَ مَنْسَبًا دُنْيَوِيًّا كَالْإِمَارَ وَالْوَظِيفَةً فَإِنَّ الرَّجُلَ لَا يَسْأَلُهَا If however there was some worldly position of power and authority, then those worldly positions of power and authority, then they should not be sought and a person should not ask for them. لِأَنَّهُ جَاءَ النَّهِي عَنْ سُؤَالِ الْإِمَارَةِ Because there is some prohibition which is mentioned in the sunnah for asking, for asking for authority and leadership. So a person shouldn't be wanting authority and leadership in these worldly types of things. And even in the 
religious affairs. It's mentioned in the Battle of Khaybar when uh, the Prophet said, that I'm going to give this flag to a man tomorrow, Allah loves him and his messenger loves him. And he loves Allah and he loves his messenger. So that night it's mentioned that all of the companions, they were thinking, who is going to be this man? Who is going to be this man who's given the flag tomorrow? to carry the flag of the army of the Muslims into Khaybar. And they all wanted it. Why? Why did they want this position and this status of having the flag? Because the Prophet ﷺ had said, or had given a description of the person who was going to be given it. And he had said, it is a person who loves Allah and His Messenger. And that's okay. Loves Allah and His Messenger, as the Salaf used to say, it's not about you loving Allah and the Messenger, it's about Allah loving you and the Messenger loving you. And the Prophet ﷺ had said that this person is also someone who Allah loves and the Messenger loves. So all of the companions wanted to be that person. To the extent that Umar ibn Khattab anhu said, I had never desired to be in charge or to have any position in anything apart from that night. That night I wanted to be given the flag. To be that individual of that description that Allah loves him and the Messenger loves him. But the point being here then, there are some narrations that say that a person shouldn't seek this authority and this leadership. Because the narrations, they say that a person who seeks authority, he seeks leadership. Then if he gets that authority and leadership, he is left to his own devices. That it is as if he is abandoned by, uh, like he is abandoned by Allah to his own devices. And he's left to his own authority that he's not got, now he's got to be able to do what he does. And as for an individual who doesn't seek that authority, but he ends up getting it, then that is the one where the blessing is in, and Allah aids that person. So the positions and the rank and the status, which is worldly things, then they should not be sought, and it is not something recommended for a person to seek them. Because an individual doesn't know if he's going to be able to fulfill the rights of that position, if he's going to be able to uphold the authority that has been given, and to be just, etc. So it's not something befitting that a person should seek this worldly uh, status and rank, etc. But as for something within the religion, then if that person is doing it because he recognizes he has the ability of himself, and he, he is able to fulfill the role, and he's doing it sincerely, desiring the reward of Allah, then that is something which is mentioned in this hadith, is possible and permissible to do. The Shaykh gives an example also of Yusuf السلام, in the Quran where it's mentioned in Surah Yusuf, ayah number 55, that make me in charge of the treasuries, make me in charge of the wealth, and I am going to be a guardian over that. And this was because Yusuf السلام, he saw that he had the ability to be able to look after those affairs of the wealth, of the treasury as you might say. Uh, because at that time it was noticed that the money, the wealth, it was becoming wasted and it was becoming degraded and it wasn't being used properly. So Yusuf السلام, he saw that he has the ability to rectify this affair. So he asked, make me in charge of this, the treasuries as you may say, in order that he can uphold the correct spending of that money and to correct and rectify the affair of that wealth. 
So that is permissible and possible to do if somebody sees that they are able to fulfill some Islamic role and they have the ability to do so and they are desiring the reward of Allah, not any other position or wealth or money or something of that nature. So as a consequence, Uthman ibn Abil As radiallahu anhu said, uh, make me the imam, ij'alni imama, al-imam, make me the imam, ij'alni imamahum, make me the imam, meaning in the prayer. So then the Prophet ﷺ, that was okay, he agreed to that and he made, the, made him the imam and he gave him some tips, he gave him some guidance as to what he needs to know if he's going to be the imam. Some of the things that he needs to be aware of if he's going to be the imam. So one of the things that the Prophet ﷺ told him was, But you need to look after your congregation and how do you look after your congregation? By making the criteria based upon the weakest of them. Making your criteria based upon the weakest of them. So for example, you're praying the prayer, you're going to lead now, you're the imam. And you see that within the congregation, within the congregation there are some elderly individuals for example. Some elderly individuals. And maybe the 90% of the congregation are young, strong, fit individuals. But there are 10% of elderly people and they are struggling to stand for lengthy periods of time or to remain in ruku' for lengthy periods of time. So they struggle due to their old age perhaps. So now the Prophet ﷺ advised Uthman ibn Abil As, make sure that you make your criteria of how you're going to lead the prayer etc. based upon the weakest of the people who are present. So if you see a group of elderly individuals, and the rest of them, 90% are strong men, then you don't say, well, 90% are strong men, I'll make a long prayer today. But rather you look at the 10%, the weak individuals, the elderly individuals who wouldn't be able to cope with that. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, make sure that you're making your criteria, your prayer, you're following the weakest of the people amongst you, so that they are not harmed by the elongation of the prayer, and it doesn't become difficult upon them. So therefore you pray in terms of the length of the prayer to that which is suitable to the congregation. And particularly the weak and the elders. Or for example, as it's mentioned in some narrations that the Prophet ﷺ used to hear the children crying or that he would hear a child crying. And so he would shorten the prayer. He wouldn't elongate it as, uh, <coughs> as com- uh, 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 to be compassionate to the mother of that child who can then attend to the child. So this is from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, not to make it difficult and burdensome upon the congregation. If it was a congregation of young, strong men, then of course there's no issue. They are young, strong men and it's known that there is time available, etc. Then you can elongate the prayer. But if you see in the congregation that there are those who will not be able to cope with that, then you do not elongate it to make it difficult and a problem for them. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, and this is the point, وَاتَّخِذْ مُؤَذِّنًا He said to Uthman ibn Abil As, because now he was going to be the Imam, he said also, take a mu'adhin, have a mu'adhin, a proper mu'adhin, somebody who does that job of being the mu'adhin. أَيْ إِجْعَلْ مُؤَذِّنًا هَذَا فِيهِ وُجُوبُ جَعْلِ الْمُؤَذِّنَ الَّذِي يَتَعَحَّدْ بِالْأَذَانِ This indicates the obligation of having a fixed mu'adhin, having somebody who has the duty of being the Mu'adhin. 
and the issue of making the adhan in the mosques, it should not be something which is just left chaotic. There's no fixed person to do the adhan. So the people, they just walk in, and they just decide you do it or you do it. It shouldn't be done in that way. There should be somebody who has the responsibility and the duty of making the adhan. It shouldn't be done in that way where people just come in, and they look at each other, and then at every prayer, they just decide you go do it or you go do it. And sometimes if it's done that way, maybe there might be a time you come to the adhan, to the prayer, they only arrive two minutes before the prayer, and then one of them goes to make the adhan, and they pray straight away. So it's not to be done in this way, the shaykh says, rather there should be somebody who takes that duty as a responsibility. They are going to do the adhan for their prayers. And it's not befitting that it's just left chaotically. You just come and decide at every prayer, this person do it, that person do it. It's not even on time, etc. So there should be somebody who's doing it regularly. That's what the hadith indicates. Because the Prophet said, وَاتَّخِذْ مُؤَذِّنًا And take a mu'adhin, have a mu'adhin, have for yourself a mu'adhin, i.e. somebody who takes that duty and responsibility. لَا يَتَّخِذْ عَلَىٰ أَذَانِهِ أَجْرًا That he doesn't, أُجْرَىٰ uh, أَجْرًا That he doesn't take upon his uh, adhan a wage. That you don't have somebody who is the fixed mu'adhin that takes a wage for the sake of doing that adhan. Meaning that he's not doing this adhan for some worldly gain, for some worldly benefit, but that mu'adhin who is going to be doing the adhan, then he is doing it because he knows this is an act of closeness to Allah. He's doing it because he knows it's an act of obedience to Allah, it's an act of worship to Allah. And these types of obediences and worships, then it's not befitting that he's doing them for some other worldly gain. So the mu'adhin shouldn't be doing that Seeking by it some worldly gain, and it's not, it shouldn't be something, the Shaykh says, that becomes a profession. That an individual, he is a professional mu'avvin. So he comes to a mosque and he has a contract to do the adhan, his contract runs out, another mosque hires him and pays him, you're a professional in this area, you can be the mu'avvin in our place now. A person shouldn't be like this, that he becomes known as a profession, the profession of the mu'avvin. It's not like that. The Shaykh says, this isn't what this is about. It's not a profession like that, that a person becomes qualified or meaning he has that skill of doing the adhan and he's known as that and people pay him and give him contracts etc. That's not how it should be done but this is an act which is done for the sake of Allah, seeking by the reward of Allah, knowing that it's a means of closeness to Allah and obedience to Allah. Uh, And the shaykh says, however, this doesn't mean that a person can't take money for it in other ways. Uh, For example, Baytul Mal as it's mentioned, the wealth of the Muslims, uh, where it's gathered in the Muslim countries, etc. If by means of that he was given something because this individual now has to take out time all, uh, for the five prayers, he has to take out time. He has to come 20 minutes, half an hour before the prayer to give the adhan. He has to do that for all of the prayers, so it takes time from his day. So if he's given something uh, for that, but it's not like a wage that is fixed or that it's a contract that he has. He's, uh, he's given something because of he has to take out time to do this adhan from the wealth of the Muslims generally, then that's okay. But the shaykh says it's not something that should be done as a profession. So what does this hadith indicate then? Firstly, it indicates, as we mentioned, that it is permissible to uh, seek position in Islamic uh, positions. For example, as Uthman ibn Abil As, he sought to be the imam. And that's because he was able to do that. And the Prophet some recognized he was able to do it too, and he allowed him to have that position. 
Also, the hadith indicates that there should be fixed mu'adhins or people who take that duty and responsibility to do the adhan in the masajid. And it shouldn't just be randomly done at every prayer. Also, it indicates that the person should not seek authority and position in worldly affairs. Shouldn't seek the authority and the position in worldly things. And that's a chapter in Kitab al-Tawheed. In the book of a Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, Rahimahullah ta'ala, he has a chapter on that issue. Babu min shirk talabul insani dunya. That from shirk is that a person seeks by his actions uh, the worldly benefits or the worldly gains. So when he does his act of obedience and he does his act of worship, behind that he is actually seeking some worldly gain. And that shouldn't be the case with regards to the adhan. Also, we benefit that the imam, he needs to look after the weakest of the people. He needs to look after the weakest of the people in the prayer. And that is with regards to how long the prayer is prayed. So if there are people who are old, or there are, for example, as in those narrations, there are young children, babies crying. So for these types of affairs, then the imam shortens the prayer, meaning he doesn't elongate it too much, so as not to become a burden or a problem for those people. Similarly, the shaykh mentions even between the iqama and the adhan. It shouldn't be the case that there is a huge time period after the iqama is given to when the actual uh, prayer is established. Uh, so between the uh, adhan and the iqama, there shouldn't be a long time period. There should be a sufficient time period, but nothing, or, but not to an extent where it becomes difficult for the people to wait. Uh, there's a hadith in uh, Al-Bukhari and Muslim where the Prophet ﷺ said, أَيُّكُمْ أَمَّا النَّاسِ فَلْيُخَفِّفْ That whoever from amongst you leads the prayer, then make it light. فَإِنَّ فِيهِمَ الْكَبِيرَ وَالضَّعِيفَ وَذَا Because indeed amongst the congregation, there are going to be those who are old in age, there are going to be those who are weak, for whatever reason, and there are going to be those who have other needs they need to get to also. So because of these various reasons, whoever leads the prayer, then make it light. Meaning don't elongate it too much, or to the degree where it's going to become difficult upon the people. After that, we have the hadith of Malik ibn al-Hawarif, radiyallahu anhu, qal, qal al-Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, idha hadharati salatu falyu'adhvin lakum ahadukum. And the hadith uh, is mentioned in the seven books of hadith. In the hadith of Malik ibn al-Hawarif, and this is similar to the hadith of Uthman ibn Abil As, he, Malik ibn al-Hawarif, radiyallahu anhu, came to the Prophet ﷺ in another delegation of people to learn. So when they had learned, and they had studied some uh, knowledge from the Prophet ﷺ, and رأى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنهم قد تفقهوا في الدين وأنهم بحاجة إلى الذهاب إلى أهليهم بسبب طول الغيبة. When the Prophet saw that this group of people have now learnt a reasonable amount in their religion and that they need to return to their families because of the lengthy period of time that they had uh, been away. أذن لهم صلى الله عليه وسلم بالانصراف. So the Prophet then allowed them to leave. Remember, these were a group of people who had come from a long way to learn. So they learned for a period of time and then the Prophet ﷺ allowed them to leave. 
However, when he allowed them to leave as they were going, as a part of the advice to them, the Prophet ﷺ said to them, إِذَا حَضَرَتِ الصَّلَاءِ فَلْيُؤَذِّنْ لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ That when the prayer comes, when it's going to be time for the prayer, that one of you should make the adhan. وَلْيَأُمَّكُمْ أَكْبَرَكُمْ And the, uh, the eldest of you, but we'll come to the explanation of that, leads the prayer. فَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ مِنْ جِنْسِ مَا سَبَقْ So this is just like the previous hadith. فِيهِ مَشْرُوعِيَةُ الْآذَانِ لِلصَّلَاةِ The hadith indicates that you need to make the adhan for the prayer. Because the Prophet said to them, when the prayer comes, then one of you make the adhan. وَأَنَّهُ يُعْحَدُ بِالْأَذَانِ إِلَى مَنْ يَقُومُ بِهِ عِنْدَ دُخُولِ الْوَقْتِ And that there should be a person who is appointed to look after that duty. Somebody who takes that responsibility to do the adhan when the time enters. And the shaykh says there aren't any other conditions as such. There aren't any other conditions as such to the mu'avvin. We mentioned already before how the Prophet ﷺ spoke about or chose the one with the beautiful voice. Meaning so somebody who has a good strong voice and he can recite the words properly and accurately. Of course that's standard. But as for specific conditions... To the mu'addin, then the shaykh says there aren't any other such specific conditions in terms of him having to be a beautiful reciter or having to be somebody extremely knowledgeable or even having to be somebody past the age of puberty is not a condition. A child less than the age of puberty can do the adhan. And that's narrated in some of the narrations of the salaf, how they would allow their young children before the age of puberty to do the adhan. In one narration of Anas ibn Malik, it's narrated that his grandson or great-grandson, one of the younger members of the family who was before the age of puberty, did the adhan in his presence. And that was permissible and that was correct. So even a child who is not at the age of puberty, if he has the ability, he can recite the words, he has a good voice he can shout with, then he can give the adhan. But the scholars, they say that if it is going to be a child... If a child is appointed or given this responsibility of making the adhan, then you need to be sure that this child has the ability and can take that responsibility. Meaning he knows when the time is going to enter. Remember we said the adhan, it is an announcement to tell you that the time for the prayer has started. So if it's going to be a child who's going to make this announcement, he needs to be somebody who has the ability and the responsibility to be able to know when the times start and has the responsibility of being able or the uh, uh, ability within him to fulfill that responsibility of making the adhan on time when the time enters. And often the Sheikh bin Baz and some of the scholars they mention, if it is going to be a child, it's good to have somebody elder in the presence also to make sure that it is the correct time, etc. Because a child who's young, he may make a mistake and make the adhan at the wrong time. So it is permissible though. It is permissible for a child to make the adhan. Uh, if he's able to do so. And like we said, some of the scholars said, it's good to have an adult present also, if that is going to occur, to make sure that the right time is present when the adhan is being made, etc. وَأَمَّا الْإِمَامَ فَيُشْتَرَطُ فِيهَا As for the person who leads the prayer, then there are conditions. Not anyone can lead the prayer. There, there are conditions. قَالَ فَإِنْ كَانُوا فِي الْقِرَاءَةِ سَوَاءَ فَأَعْلَمُهُمْ بِالسُنَّةِ فَإِنْ كَانُوا فِي السُنَّةِ سَوَاءَ فَأَقْدَمُهُمْ هِجْرَةً فَإِنْ كَانُوا فِي الْهِجْرَةِ سَوَاءَ فَأَقْدَمُهُ سِلْمًا 
وهذا الحديث سيورده المصنف في باب صلاة الجماعة فانظر الكلام عليه هناك As for the person who leads the prayer then the Prophet sallallahu said it should be the one who has most knowledge of the Quran the most memorization of the Quran and if they are all equal in their memorization of the Quran then the most knowledgeable in the Sunnah and if they are all equal in that then the one who made the Hijrah the earliest and that was at the time of the companions and if they are all equal in that then the one who became Muslim first some of the scholars say however though it's not always the one who has the most memorization of the Quran this hadith indicates that the one who has the most Quran memorized he should lead the prayer and if they are all equal in that then the one who is the most knowledgeable some of the scholars say however that it's not as uh, it is not done simply on memorization of the Quran because they say a person could be memorized the Quran, he could have memorized the Quran, all of it maybe. However, he doesn't have much understanding of the religion, and he doesn't have much fiqh, and he doesn't know what to do in the prayer if something goes wrong. He doesn't know how to uh, perform that prayer correctly or accurately. He might not be somebody of an understanding which is the uh, the bottom level of understanding required for someone to be able to lead the prayer. So he might be half of the Qur'an, but his level of understanding regarding the issues of the prayer is very limited. And there could be somebody else, who is not half of the Qur'an, so he has less Qur'an memorized, but he is much more knowledgeable regarding the issues of the prayer, and the fiqh of the prayer. And if anything goes wrong, then he knows how to deal with it in the prayer. So many of the scholars say, that individual should have more priority to lead the prayer. Okay, he's not hafiz, maybe somebody else is hafiz. But because of his superior knowledge of the fiqh of the prayer and the rulings regarding the prayer and the different uh, regulations of the prayer, then he should be given precedence as some of the scholars say. But that is an issue that is going to come in detail later on. That is going to be a separate topic which is going to come later on regarding who has the right to lead the prayer. And this discussion will mention it in detail there regarding the memorization of the Qur'an and the one who has uh, uh, the understanding of the sunnah, and who gets priority, etc. After that, عن جابر رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لبلال إذا أذنت فترسل وإذا أقمت فحضر واجعل بين أذانك وإقامتك قدر ما يفرغ الآكل من أكله الحديث رواه الترمذي وضعفه Hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu said to Bilal radiallahu an that if you make the adhan fatarassal elongate it if you make the adhan then make it properly sentence by sentence and long and with a loud voice because like we said the purpose of the adhan is to make an announcement to the people for them to hear now that the time of the prayer has begun so the Prophet said if you make the adhan then فَتَرَسَّلْ Then make it long and sentence by sentence, loud and clear. وَإِذَا أَقَمْتَ But when you make the iqama فَحْدُرْ فَحْدُرْ Meaning hasten, make that quickly. The iqama to be made quickly. And the words, they follow through with each other. One sentence finishes, start the next sentence. Whereas with the adhan, 
you might make one sentence, pause slightly, then raise your voice and make the next sentence, pause slightly. But with the iqama, follow it through and go through with it and to hasten with the iqama. Because like we said, the iqama, that is simply now an announcement for the people who are present, the prayer is beginning. It's not an, a, a, an overall announcement for everybody now. It's for the people who are present that the prayer has now begun. Uh, and that the time period between the adhan and the iqama, it should be sufficient for a person who is eating to be able to finish his food. The time period between the adhan and the iqama should be sufficient for a person who is eating to be able to finish that uh, uh, item or whatever it is, that meal that he is eating. Meaning that there should be a reasonable amount of time. It shouldn't be that the adhan is done and instantly afterwards the iqama is done. There should be some period, some small amount of time sufficient for the people to take care of their needs. A person for him to get up and make the wudu and come to the masjid. A person for him to finish the eating. A person for him to look after and to uh, complete whatever other affair that he was in and then prepare and come to the masjid for the prayer. So there should be some sufficient time. And that's mentioned in other narrations about how there should be sufficient time to be able to pray two raka'at, there should be sufficient time to be able to pray two raka'at between the adhan and the iqama. Uh, that's what's mentioned in this hadith. However, this particular hadith in of itself is as Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi mentioned, weak. There is some weakness in this particular hadith. But it gives you some of the mannerisms of how to do the adhan. Some of the mannerisms of it. And they are in line with what we mentioned earlier. That the adhan is slow and loud and clear as an announcement. That's already mentioned. And that the iqama is just to tell you the prayer is now being established. So that can be quicker. So these are just some mannerisms of the adhan and the iqama and the timings. So there is no... Uh, uh, it's not uh, as if it is separate regulations and rules that are being established. But some of the mannerisms of how to make that. Uh, and so the Shaykh says, in reality the hadith is weak, but these are simply mannerisms that are mentioned. And so the author, Al-Hafid ibn Hajar, he's mentioned it in amongst the chapter just to uh, highlight those. Uh, after that, we have the hadith, وَلِلْتِرْمِذِي عَنَبِ هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وسلم لَا يُؤَذِّنُ إِلَّا مُتَوَضِّئِ وَضَعَّفَ In this hadith, or oh, well, we'll mention the others too, in this one, uh, uh, Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu narrates that the Prophet وسلم, said, uh, only somebody who has got wudu should make the adhan. Only somebody who has wudu should make the adhan. Uh, then we have, uh, and we'll come to the explanation of these ahadith and whether, whether they are authentic or not. Then, وَلَهُ عَنْ زِيَادِ بْنِ الْحَارِثِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَمَنْ أَذَّنَ فَهُوَ يُقِيمٌ That whoever makes the adhan, he is the one who should make the iqama. And in fact, both of these two narrations so far, uh, there is weakness in them. Uh, then we have the narration of Abu Dawood. عن عبد الله بن زيد قال أنا رأيته يعني الأذان وأنا كنت أريده قال فأقم أنت. He says that Abdullah ibn uh, Abdullah ibn Zaid says I saw the adhan being done and I wanted to make it, but then it was said he said you make the iqama instead. فأقم أنت. 
Again, this one has some weakness in it. We'll come to the explanation of all of these in one go. وعن ابي هريره رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أملك بالاذان والامام أملك بالاقامه رواه ابن ابن عدي وضعفه again this one has some weakness in it which is that the muadhin he is the one who is uh, entrusted with the adhan he has the responsibility of the adhan the one who has the uh, priority with the adhan and as for the imam he is the one who controls the iqamah وعن أنس رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يرد الدعاء بين الأذان والإقامة رواه النساء وصححه ابن خزيمة that the dua which is made the supplication that is made between the adhan and the iqama is not rejected so now we come to all of these hadith in one go الشيخ صالح الفوزان حفظه الله تعالى says هذه الأحاديث ساقها المصنف رحمه الله في آخر باب الأذان these ahadith, the musannif, the author, Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, rahimahullah ta'ala, has mentioned them at the end of the chapter of the adhan. لِأَنَّ فِيهَا بَعَضْ آدَابِ الْأَذَانِ وَمَا يُسْتَحَبْ Because within these ahadith are some mannerisms of how the adhan should be done and some of the mustahab recommended affairs regarding the adhan. Even though, as we mentioned, many of these ahadith have some weakness in them. لَكِنْ يُسْتَأْنَسُ بِهَا فِي هَذَا الْمَوْضُوعِ But there are something that can be used as they can be used as something that is uh, the narrations themselves are weak like we mentioned they have weakness in them but they are there To give direction, that's, uh, I suppose, getting close. Yustatna subiha. Yustatna subiha, it doesn't indicate that these narrations, you're going to make regulations and rulings from them. But they are there to maybe give you some guidance on some, on some of the affairs, to give, give some direction on some of the affairs, and they could be used as some sort of supportive evidence for the actual rules and regulations proven by the authentic narrations. That's what, what the Shaykh indicates. So these narrations are mentioned here, not for the purpose of basing rules and regulations upon them, but they are there to help you along in the other narrations as, as supporting evidences for the proven uh, or authentic evidences. Uh, in fact, the Shaykh mentions here that rulings are not going to be made from these ahadith. وَهَذِهِ طَرِيقَةُ الْعُلَمَاءِ and this is the way that the scholars they do. Uh, when they use weak narrations. Because they do this sometimes that if a hadith is weak, and especially if it is not very weak, there are different levels to the weakness of a hadith. If a hadith was slightly weak, it does have some slight weakness in it. Sometimes the scholars, they allow the usage of that hadith for the purpose of, uh, as we mentioned now, as supporting evidences alongside the proven authentic evidences. They will, they will allow some uh, leeway in using them. If it is in the aspect of virtues and mannerisms, if it is about the virtues of something or the mannerisms 
of something, the behavior that you do with regards to something. In those types of affairs, if the hadith is maybe slightly weak, and maybe there are other evidences that actually do support it in other narrations, that in those types of affairs, the scholars, they will allow the usage of these narrations to back up or to have as a side point alongside the authentic narrations. أَمَّا الْأَحَدِيثِ فِي قَضِيَةِ الْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ وَالْوَاجِبِ وَمَا أَشْبَهَ ذَلِكَ مِنَ الْحَكَامِ الْأَسَاسِيَّ فَهَذِهِ لَا يُسْتَدَلُّ لَهَا إِلَّا بِأَحَدِيثِ سَحِيَعَا As for haram and halal and rulings and regulations, then these ahadith which are weak are not used whatsoever. For halal and haram and regulations, you can't use these narrations. But when it's just about mannerisms of doing something, or the virtues of something, and the hadith isn't that weak, and there are other supporting evidences, then you see that the scholars, they do allow it uh, to a degree. There is some leeway. So these narrations then, uh, firstly the narration of Abu Huraira mentioned that the person who makes the adhan, he should be upon the state of wudu. And this the shaykh says is something which is mustahab. لِأَنَّ الْأَذَانِ عِبَادَةِ because the adhan is an act of worship. And it is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if a person was to give the adhan and he is upon the state of wudu, then of course that is better and more perfect and more complete in fulfilling that act of worship. To be in a state of cleanliness in terms of that purification of the wudu. To be upon that state of worship, upon that wudu, and to do this act of adhan, this act of obedience, this remembrance of Allah, upon that state of wudu, then that's something good, and that's something recommended. But what if a person then, if we're saying now that it's good to be upon wudu when you make the adhan? Like we said, these narrations, they all have some weakness, but they're about mannerisms. So one of the mannerisms which is indicated here is that it's something good for the person to be upon wudu when he makes the adhan. What if then a person doesn't have wudu when he makes the adhan? Is the adhan acceptable or not? Acceptable. So the shaykh says that if a person made the adhan and he didn't have wudu, the adhan is still acceptable. إِذْ إِنَّهُ لَا يُشْتَرَطُ لِلْأَذَانِ الطَّهَارَةِ because it is not a condition to be upon that purification. It is not a condition to be upon that purification, to be upon that wudu, to make the adhan. Rather, it is something which is recommended and it's good. If you're going to do that act of obedience, that act of worship, seeking closeness to Allah via it, then be upon a state of wudu when doing it. The second narration mentioned that whoever gives the adhan, then he should give the iqama also. أَمَّا الْإِقَامَةِ فَإِنَّ الْمُسْتَحَبُّ الْأَوْلَىٰ كَمَا فِي حَدِيثِ زِيَادِ بْنِ الْحَارِثِ أَنَّ مَنْ أَذَّنَ فَهُوَ يُقِيمُ وَلَا يُؤَذِّنُ وَاحِدٌ وَيُقِيمُ آخر وَهَذَا مِنْ بَابِ الْإِسْتِحْبَابِ وَلَيْسَ مِنْ بَابِ الْوَاجِبِ So again, this is one of the mannerisms. That if a person does the adhan, he should also do the iqama. Again, it's something which is a mannerism, it's mustahab. It's something good. It's mustahab. Somebody does the adhan, he comes and does the iqama also. But again the shaykh says, فَلَوْ أَذَّنَ شَخْصْ وَأَقَامَ غَيْرُهُ فَهَذَا جَائِزْ If somebody made the adhan, the mu'adhin, but somebody else ended up doing the iqama for whatever reason, then it is correct, it's okay. 
but it is in opposition to that which would have been more recommended. So it would be more recommended, the Shaykh says, that the one who does the adhan, he also does the iqama, but if it differed, then that is permissible and it is still correct. The third narration mentioned, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd, radiallahu anhu, ana ra'aytuhu wa ana kuntu uridu, fa inna hadha fihi kama sabaqa anna Abdullah ibn Zayd ra'a fil manam al-adhan. وَأَتَى نَفْسَ سَلَّمْ فَأَخْبَرَهُ بِهِ فَقَالَ نَفْسَ سَلَّمْ إِنَّهَا لَرُؤْيَا حَقْءٍ وَقَدْ شُرِعَ الْأَذَانُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ الْحِينَ كَمَا سَبَقْ وَلَكِنْ نَفْسَ سَلَّمْ أَعْطَى الْأَذَانَ لِبِلَالٍ وَلَمْ يُعْطِهِ لِعَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ زَيْدٍ So this was about Abdullah ibn Zayd radiyallahu anhu أَنَا رَأَيْتُهُ وَأَنَا كُنْتُ أُرِيدُهُ He said that I saw the adhan and I wanted if I wanted to do it He saw the adhan where The dream remember at the beginning of the chapter we mentioned when Abdullah ibn Zayd radiallahu anhu had the dream about the adhan, about the legislation of the adhan. So when he had that dream, he wanted to be the mu'adhin then. However, the Prophet sallam, he gave that responsibility to Bilal instead, radiallahu anhu, because Bilal was better and stronger in his voice than Abdullah ibn Zayd. فَالْمُؤَذِّنْ يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يَكُونَ ذَا صَوْتٍ حَسَنٍ So it's befitting that the mu'adhin should be somebody of good voice. Uh, and has a voice that is clear and loud so that this is better when making that announcement and, and making that call and in making people hear it so this indicates that the person who is chosen for the adhan should be somebody who has the loudest of the voices and also the best of the pronunciations he can pronounce and carry out that adhan in the best of the manners. فَكَوْنُ النَّبِي صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَدَلَ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ زَيْدٍ مَعَ كَوْنِهِ هُوَ الَّذِي رَأَى الْأَذَانَ إِلَى بِلَالٍ مِنْ أَجْلِ مِيزَةِ نَدَاوَةِ الصَّوْتِ فَهَذَا يَدُلُّ عَلَى أَنَّهُ يُخْتَارُ لِلْأَذَانِ الْأَحْسَنِ صَوْتًا وَلَوْ أَذَنَ مَنْ لَيْسَ نَدِيُّ الصَّوْتِ مَنْ لَيْسَ نَدِيَّ صَوْتِي أَجْزَأَ ذَلِكَ وَلَكِنَّ الْأَفْضَلَ وَالْأَكْمَلَ أَنْ يَكُونَ ذَا صَوْتٍ نَدِيٍّ وَصَوْتٍ جَوْهَرِيٍّ so the shaykh says that this hadith indicates that the one who makes the adhan should be somebody who has the loud and clear and good pronunciation. Uh, if however again, this is from the mannerisms of the adhan, if however again somebody ended up doing the adhan who did not have the loudest of the voices and it wasn't the clearest of the voices, if somebody did do the adhan with that characteristic, then the adhan is still acceptable. It's correct as long as it's being read properly. But it's better that somebody with a loud and clear and distinct voice and good pronunciation pronounces and does the adhan. Uh, the next narrations indicates the responsibilities. This narration said, Al-Mu'adhinu amlaku bil adhan. That the Mu'adhin, he is the one who has the authority over the adhan. He is the one who has the responsibility of the adhan. And as for the Imam, Al-Imam amlaku bil iqama. The Imam is the one who has the responsibility of the iqama. So this hadith indicates who and what the responsibilities are. The Mu'adhin has the responsibility for the adhan. فَلَا أَحَدْ يَدْخُلُ عَلَيْهِ أَوْ يُنَازِعُهُ فِيهِ So if you have somebody who is the appointed Mu'adhin, he is the one with that duty or responsibility, then it's not befitting and it's not correct for anyone else to come and dispute with him and say, no, I'm going to do it. Nobody can argue with him then. He is the one upon that responsibility. وَهُوَ الْمَسْعُولُ عَنْ دُخُولِ الْوَقْتِ وَمُرَاقَبَةِ الْوَقْتِ 
And that Mu'addin who's been appointed, he's the one who has the responsibility of checking the time, etc. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said in an authentic narration, in Muslim of Imam Ahmed and others, Al-Mu'addin Mu'taman. That the one who makes the Adhan, he is somebody who is entrusted. The one who makes the Adhan is somebody who is entrusted. You trust that individual to know the times and the uh, uh, prayer time beginning, etc. to make the Adhan correctly. مُؤْتَمَنٌ عَلَى الْوَقْتِ فَالْأَذَانِ مَسْؤُولِيَّةٌ لِذَا يَجِبُ عَلَى الْمُؤَذِّنَ أَنْ يُؤَدِّيَا فِي وَقْتِهِ وَلَا يَتَقَدَّمْ عَلَيْهِ وَلَا يَتَأَخَّرْ عَنْهِ وَعَلَيْهِ أَنْ يُرَاقِبَ الْوَقْتِ دَائِمًا صَيْفًا وَشِتَاءً لَيْلًا وَنَهَارًا So the person who's given the authority of the Adhan, he needs to look after the times and make the Adhan correctly, winter, summer, day, night, to be aware of the times and to do that properly. But then the hadith says that the iqama that is under the authority of the imam. La yajuzu lil an yuqima biduni idni al-imam. Meaning that the mu'adhin cannot come and make the adhan without the permission of the imam. That response, uh, uh, the iqam, sorry, uh, the iqama. The mu'adhin cannot come and make the iqama without the permission of the imam. The iqama is the authority of the imam. So he's not allowed for him to come and make the iqama without the permission of the imam. لِأَنَّ الْمَسْؤُولُ عَنِ الْإِقَامَةِ هُوَ الْإِمَامِ Because the one responsible for the iqama, that authority, is with the imam. فَعَلَى الْإِمَامِ أَنْ لَا يَتَأَخَّرْ وَيَشُقَّ عَلَى النَّاسِ So the imam therefore shouldn't be late for the prayer and make it difficult for the people. وَلَا يَتَقَدَّمْ وَيُفَوِّتَ عَلَى النَّاسِ الصَّلَاةِ Similarly, the imam shouldn't come early before the time of the prayer or that which is recognized and pray the prayer early and then people come and end up missing raka'ah, two raka'ah, three raka'ah. Because the imam has come in early and told them to do the iqama early. He shouldn't do that either. وَإِنَّمَا يُرَاعِي أَحْوَالَ الْمَأْمُومِينَ Rather the imam looks after the state of the congregation. And he therefore gives the authority or the permission for the iqama to be done in its correct and suitable time. Not making it so delayed that it's long for the people to wait and difficult for the people to wait. And not making it before the normal time. So people end up coming expecting the normal time and the prayers already started. But he does that at a suitable regular time. And that is the responsibility of the, muaz- of the imam. To tell them when to make the iqama. وَلِهَذَا قَالَ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ الْمُؤَذِّنُ مُؤْتَمَنْ وَالْإِمَامُ ضَامِنْ that the mu'adhin is somebody who is entrusted and the imam is somebody who uh, uh, he he's somebody who who guards over the affair he protects the affair he's somebody who gives you the guarantee on that affair فارشد الله meaning that he looks after, looks after the iqama he tells when that iqama should be done in the reasonable right suitable time to look after the affairs of the people فارشده الله الائمه وغفر للمؤذنين uh, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided the ones who lead the prayers and He forgave the ones who do the adhan. فَكُلٌّ لَهُ مَسْؤُولِيَّةٌ لَا يُنَازِعُهُ فِيهَا أَحَدٌ So each one of them has his responsibility. The mu'adhin has the responsibility of checking the times and making the adhan. And nobody can come and start arguing with him, I want to do it today. The mu'adhin is the mu'adhin, the one who has the responsibility and the duty, it's his right. Then the iqama is the right of the imam. So nobody can come along and say, get up and do the iqama, let's pray. It's the imam who has that responsibility. وَلَكِنْ لَيْسَ مَعَنَا هَذَا أَنَّ الْمُؤَذِّنِ إِذَا عَرَفَ أَنَّهُ لَا يُنَازَعْ وَالْإِمَامِ إِذَا عَرَفَ أَنَّهُ لَا يُنَازَعْ أَنْ يَتَحَكَّمَا فِي النَّاسِ 
وَيَضُرَّا بِالنَّاسِ وَإِنَّمَا يَجْبُ عَلَيْهِمَا أَرْرِفْقِ بِالنَّاسِ وَمُرَاعَاتُ أَحْوَالِهِمْ But because the mu'adhin has that right, and the imam has the right of the iqama, that doesn't mean that the mu'adhin and the imam, they use this right and this uh, uh, responsibility and authority to abuse the position. And so the imam shouldn't just relax and come late, because he knows that he is the one who has to tell them when to do the iqama, so he comes late and makes the people wait. So these types of affairs should not occur. They have this responsibility, but like the hadith says, that they, uh, they are entrusted and they are the ones who are looking after the affairs of the people, so they need to take that uh, seriously. Uh, and they have a reward upon that. If they do that and they look after those affairs, they have a reward upon that. Here it should be noted that when the adhan is done, the muadhin comes, he does the adhan at the time. Now amongst the people it's become the norm. For example now, Salat al-Isha, 7pm. So now if the time comes and the clock strikes strikes 7pm, then in many masajid now it's become the norm that the people, they'll just start standing up. They'll start standing up and they'll line up in the rows and they'll start pointing at the, the one who did the adhan, do it, iqama, iqama, somebody go lead. And the reality is you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. The reality is you should wait for the imam. He might be late a minute, two minutes, five minutes, something might have occurred. But you're supposed to wait for the imam. Not that the time now is seven o'clock, that's it. Irrelevant, the imam hasn't come, he's missed his chance now, let's just do the iqama, somebody lead. It shouldn't be that way. You should wait, wait some moment of time. If it appears after some moments of time, that uh, sufficient time has gone by and the imam isn't coming and it's out of the ordinary, this no, it doesn't happen. So you expect something has happened, he's not going to come, then khalas, somebody leads. But initially then, there should be some waiting time. And sometimes you see that the one who does the adhan himself, the one who does the adhan himself will just come and do the iqama at the time. Seven o'clock, he will come and do the iqama, irrelevant if he, if he sees the imam anywhere or not. So then they do the iqama, everybody stands up, then they're looking around who's going to lead the prayer. So these types of activities, they occur a lot. But the reality is, as the scholars have mentioned, when the time comes, the normal time of the prayer, that you expect and you have become habituated to, uh, then you wait. If the imam is late, you wait. Allow some time, he might be delayed slightly. Nowadays, yeah, you're traveling on the road, something may occur, might be delayed by a few minutes. Wait momentarily. But the habit of the people has become, that's it, the time is there, do the iqama, somebody lead. And maybe sometimes, just maybe 20 seconds after the imam comes. 10 seconds, they do the Allahu Akbar, and the imam walks in. So you wait slightly, have some patience, and wait a, a few moments, wait some time to allow the imam, because it is his right. It's his right to come and establish the iqama. That's what should be done. But there is too much hastiness at times. That maybe a minute goes, a minute and a half goes, that's it. They want to do the iqama and do the prayer, and everybody wants to go. Have some patience and wait for the imam. It's his right to establish that. And then at the end it says, لا يرد الدعاء بين الأذان والإقامة In the final narration where it says that the dua which is made between the adhan and the iqama, then that dua is not rejected. And this is an absolute statement. إن الإنسان يدعو بعد الأذان بما شاء من الدعاء فله أن يدعو بأي نوع من أنواع الدعاء So when the adhan is made between that adhan and the iqama, a person can make dua. Make dua for yourself with whatever dua you wish to make for yourself. Whatever that affair might be. Make dua for yourself. Because this is a time, لِأَنَّ هَذِهِ السَّاعَةِ 
بَيْنَ الْأَذَانِ وَالْإِقَامَةِ مَذَنَّةُ إِجَابَةِ Because this time period between the adhan and the iqamah, as-sa'a in the Arabic language, it doesn't mean an hour always, as-sa'a in the Arabic language indicates a period of time. So this period of time between the adhan and the iqamah, it is a time period where it's a time of answering the dua. It's a time of having the dua answered. So uh, a Muslim should strive in using this opportunity between the adhan and the iqamah to make the dua, to make dua for himself, to make dua for his parents, for his family, for guidance, for the Muslims, etc. To make the dua. إِلَّا أَنَّهُ يَنْبَغِيَ أَنْ لَا يَكُونَ فِي هَذَا الدُّعَاءِ اِعْتِدَاءِ But obviously the shaykh says, and this is general to dua, that a person doesn't make dua which has some transgression in it. You don't ask for something which is impermissible and incorrect to ask for. So the dua is made within the bounds of obedience and worship, but you don't make dua for something which is harmful or wrong or incorrect to make dua for. Uh, for example, the shaykh says, you don't make dua uh, to have certain members of your family cut off from you. You don't make dua that I wish I never see this person again from my family or I wish that person from my family goes and leaves me alone. You don't make dua for the cutting off of relations, for example. Uh... That's one example that the shaykh gives, and there's some other examples too. So you make the dua which is good and appropriate, and any type of dua which is good and appropriate for yourself, for your family, for your parents, etc., then that is a time to make it. Because it is a time that the duas are answered. إِذَا لَا يَجُوزُ لَكَ عَلَىٰ إِنسَانٍ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنَّكَ تُبْغِضُ So the shaykh says, don't make dua, for example, like you are making dua against somebody just because you hate him, or because you have envy towards that person. Um, but rather you make the dua which is befitting and it is good uh, And that is something which can be done in that time period Also uh, To conclude the chapter There is the hadith of Jabir قال, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من قال حين يسمع النداء اللهم رب هذه الدعوة التامة اللهم رب هذه الدعوة التامة والصلاة القائمة آت محمدًا الوسيلة والفضيلة وبعثه مقامًا محمودًا الذي وعدته حلت له شفاعتي يوم القيامة رواه الأربع This hadith uh, of uh, Jabir رضي الله عنه says that the Prophet said whoever hears the adhan and then he recites this dua, Allahumma rabba hadhi da'wati al-tama wa salat al-qa'ima, aati muhammadan al-wasilata wal-fadila, wa ba'athu maqaman mahmooda, al-lazhi wa'adtah, whoever recites this dua, and for the ones who have not memorized it, you'll find it in the books like the fortress of the Muslim, etc. Then whoever recites this dua after the adhan, then the Prophet ﷺ says, my intercession has become correct and permissible for that person on the day of judgment. That my intercession is now available and, uh, for that person on the day of judgment for the one who makes this dua after hearing the adhan. Because this is a dua in reality for the Messenger of Allah وسلم, And it is a dua for the person himself. Because when the person makes dua for the Messenger of Allah, uh, for the Messenger of Allah وسلم, then by making that dua, you are now making it possible for yourself to seek or to have the intercession of the Prophet on the Day of Judgment. So everybody should strive to memorize this dua. And you'll find it in the fortress of the Muslim, etc. 
to memorize this dua which is to be read after the adhan when you hear the adhan and for the one who does that the hadith says that person uh, has uh, the uh, intercession of the Prophet so what does this dua mean then Allahumma rabba hadhi da'wati tamma wa salati al-qa'ima O Allah the Lord of this ad-da'wa al-tamma al-muradu biha al-adhan this complete call O Allah the Lord of this call i.e. the Lord of the adhan when you hear the adhan you say O Allah the Lord of this adhan sumyat da'wa in the hadith it's called ad-da'wa a call because you are calling the people to the attendance. And it is tamma because the adhan, it includes the tawheed of Allah within it. It includes the tawheed of Allah within it. Tamma kamila lima yashtamilu alayhi min al-tawheed. Wa ila al-khayr. The whole of the adhan is calling to goodness. Allahu Akbar. The greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah Ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah The testification of Tawheed Hayya ala salah Hayya ala al-falah Come to the success Come to the prayer All of it is goodness And it is remembrance of Allah And closeness to Allah So that's why it's termed In this dua that you recite After the adhan Allahumma rabba hadhi da'wati tamma Oh Allah the Lord of this complete And perfect type of dua Complete and perfect type of call وَالصَّلَاةِ الْقَائِمَةِ And, O Allah, the Lord of the prayer which is going to be established. When you hear the adhan, then that adhan is for a prayer which is going to occur. Might be the adhan for the fajr prayer, might be the adhan for the dhuhr prayer. But the adhan is obviously being made for a prayer that is going to be prayed. So the second part, وَالصَّلَاةِ الْقَائِمَةِ اللَّهُمَّ رَبَّ هَذِي الدَّعْوَةِ التَّامَةِ وَالصَّلَاةِ الْقَائِمَةِ And the prayer which is about to be established, the prayer which is about to occur. And that is a prayer which will continue as a means of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala up until the day of judgment. It will not be changed, it will not be altered, it will not be abrogated. That is a worship and obedience which will continue to Allah up until the day of judgment. آتِ مُحَمَّدًا الْوَسِيلَةِ لَمَّا تَوَصَّلَ إِلَى اللَّهِ بِهَاتَيْنَ الْعِبَادَتَيْنَ طَلَبًا لِلرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ الْوَسِيلَةَ وَالْفَضِيلَةَ والوصيلة في اللغة ما يتوصل به إلى شيء ويتوصل به إلى شيء فالسبب الموصل إلى شيء يسمى وصيلة والوصيلة التي يتوصل بها إلى الله سبحانه وتعالى هي عبادته قال تعالى اتقوا الله وابتغوا إليه الوصيلة. so here you're saying آتي محمدا الوصيلة give محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم the وصيلة وصيلة is Something which leads on to something else, a means. What is the correct wasila between the slaves and Allah? That is through obedience. As Allah said, wasila. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and seek this means to Him. And that means to Him, that is the obedience and the worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then the Shaykh says, أنه يتوصل إلى الله بالأولياء والصالحين والموتى كما قال المشركون من قبل that the individuals the مشركين they used to make their means their وسيلة through shirk they used to think going to the graves and the أولياء that was the وسيلة and that was incorrect but the correct وسيلة which is being spoken about is the obedience and the worship 
and al-fadila, which is the raised rank and position. So you're asking Allah, making dua to give the Prophet ﷺ that raised rank and position. And the Prophet ﷺ, he has been given the preference over all of the creation and been given that uh, station and rank in paradise. وَبْعَثُ مَقَامًا مَحْمُودًا الَّذِي And raise the Prophet ﷺ to that virtuous, that uh, praiseworthy rank and status that you have promised him. So all of these are du'as that you are reciting, and they are du'as and supplications for the Prophet ﷺ. And when you do that, to summarize the affair, when you do that, you're making these supplications of the Prophet ﷺ after the adhan, then in effect you're making supplication for yourself. Because for the one who makes that supplication, the intercession becomes permissible for him, then the intercession becomes available for that person from the Prophet ﷺ. And that is, uh, in summary, where the Shaykh, he concludes this chapter of Adhan. So they are some of the rulings and some of the regulations regarding the Adhan that we've covered over the last three sessions, maybe four sessions. So a person should revise over those last three or four lessons now, and in fact revise over the whole of the chapter so far. So that next time, in two weeks time, inshallah, we can start uh, on the actual conditions of the prayer. Starting on to the actual prayer now. So a person needs to have this uh, learnt properly so far. The conditions of the adhan and the times of the prayers that we mentioned and all of these affairs. So that now we can go into the actual conditions of the prayer properly. In studying those uh, pillars and wajibat and sunan etc. And that inshaAllah ta'ala will begin with in two weeks time. So we'll conclude upon that point for today.